Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we are talking about repentance. If you look around in the church and certainly on Christian social media, there seems to be a lot of confusion about repentance and what it is. So we're going to talk about repentance from the Old Testament, repentance from the New Testament. We're going to talk about repentance on the front end in terms of conversion and how one is united to Christ. And we're going to talk about repentance in an ongoing way in the Christian life and hope to make some sense of this topic. We hope that you're encouraged by the conversation. We hope, as always, that you find assurance and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ as you listen. Stay tuned. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective, and as we've been saying lately, from a pastoral perspective as well. Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, it's good to be around the mic with you, man. We've been out of the recording rhythm for the last couple of weeks due to various things, uh, travel for each of us. And we recorded a few episodes before we left, and we're going to be recording several episodes over the coming weeks trying to catch up. Yeah. But today is the first time back in the seat, and we'll see how this goes, I suppose. Yeah. It's almost like we have to relearn how to ride a bike again. <laughs> so, yeah. well, we Hopefully have a giveaway. we're not going to fall down. Yeah, the giveaways have been going good. Everybody's been excited about them, so we're glad. Uh, really, it's a way for us to share books that we like, and um, we're going to work on expanding that. But we also like to give away some more stuff. We know that you've enjoyed our merch, so we're going to be giving away one of our coffee mugs, which seems to be mm. a popular giveaway. Uh, actually, has a new. There's a new one. This is the old one, but we have a new one that we're giving away. So uh, you can sign up for I, that. There'll be I want to know if I, that. I want to know if I can get one of those. Yeah, I'll get you a new coffee cup. Sheepers. I know this. This one here is like six years old, so we need to get the updated ones. Uh, but we're giving it to one of our members. We like to just thank our members for supporting us, and we like to give away stuff to them. So Cody Kilshaw, Cody's been a member for quite a while now, and so we wanted to. We ran the uh, wheel of names this morning, according As we to. Always do. God's sovereignty and the selection of the will of names. Uh, Cody, you you came up, so we'll uh, shoot that over to you, and you can enjoy um, thinking about or praying for Theocast and Justin, Jimmy, and I as we as you drink out of the coffee mug. So <laughs> there it is. If you would like one, you can go to our social media. Every Wednesday morning, we post our giveaway, and you can go to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and follow the instructions there. And uh, we'll select a winner on Thursday and give you that coffee cup mug. So there you go. Word. I mean, I, for one, John, am just glad to know that even though we haven't recorded in like three weeks, that the mm-hmm. wheel of names is still alive and kicking. It's still alive and kicking. I was worried. I was very concerned that yeah. the wheel of names might just, I don't know, go away. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's getting full. It's taking longer to spin it, but... That's not a bad thing. No. All right, so we're going to have a conversation today about something other than the Wheel of Names and the providence of God and how Mm. it relates to the Wheel of Names. Uh, We're going to have a conversation about something that's uh, an important subject, and people have already seen the title of the episode, so I don't need to bury the lead, I don't think. 
The title of the episode is What is Repentance? That's a topic that gets Christians worked up. If you look on Christian Twitter or Christian social media in general and find any kind of dialogue about the topic of repentance, you will notice that people are passionate about this conversation with good reason because it is an important doctrine. It's an important subject when it comes to our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, our conversion, right? But then also it matters in the Christian life as well. Mm -hmm. And so today we want to have a very simple, somewhat introductory conversation on the topic of repentance because our plan over the summer, over the course of several months, is to have other conversations related to this one. And so we're going to deal with some of the subject matter that is contained in several books. I'll go ahead and maybe give a sneak peek on this, John, if you're cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to, in no particular order, we're going to be doing episodes that would be oriented around John MacArthur's book, The Gospel According to Jesus. We're going to do an episode that centers around the book edited by Michael Horton called Christ the Lord. And then we also will do an episode that is centered around the subject matter of the whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. And so you can look for those episodes to be coming out over the course of the summer. And those are not going to be like formal book reviews, guys. They're just going to be conversations that will deal with some of the subject matter of those books, but they're going to be an accessible, uh, I trust, theocast-ish kind of conversation that we hope you'll find encouraging. And so we're going to be dealing with those matters of like lordship, salvation, and all those kinds of things, legalism, antinomianism, and the nature of the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ, the marrow controversy, and all of that over the summer. But what we want to do today is have an initial conversation about repentance and what it is. And I think what we're going to aim to do is talk about it some on the front end in terms of conversion, and then we're going to talk about what repentance is in the Christian life in an ongoing way, mm-hmm. and hopefully point out some of the pitfalls and some of the mistakes, frankly, that people make where categories are collapsed and, and things get a little bit confusing mm-hmm. and uh, unhelpful to the believer. Yeah. And so here we go. We're just going to take off running. Yeah. John, if I were to just ask you straight away, what is repentance? Mm-hmm. How would you answer that question? Historically, how this has been answered is uh, a change of mind. This is how it's been interpreted through commentators and through the reformers. And what it means to give a, a good example of this from the Old Testament is uh, we hear in the Decalogue where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And this is God is telling them to change their mind from a polytheistic understanding mm-hmm. to a monotheistic. You need to change your mind. It is no longer okay to serve multiple gods. You can only serve one God. So not only should they change their way of thinking about something mm-hmm. being good or bad, mm-hmm. but then it's going to affect their actions, which is they should only serve one God. Uh, that would be a, a simple example of what repentance would look like in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sure, and that change of mind is what produces the change in action. That's right. And yeah, just really briefly on this before we get any further down the road, I agree mm-hmm. completely with you. The The word, for example, in the New Testament for repentance is metanoia, which is a change of mind, as you said, or a change of understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think really what we're discussing, you've already hit it, one of these pillars, we're talking about a change of mind or a change of understanding with respect to a few really important things, one being God who he is, right? And there, right. and the fact that he's creator and he's the only God and thereby we have an obligation to him. And the second thing is, it's a change of mind or understanding about ourselves, who we are and whether we're good or not, all that kind of thing. And then lastly, sort of related, 
it's a change of mind about how we might be reconciled to God. And it's really specifically there, a change of mind about Christ and who he is and what he did That's right. and why we need him and how it might, how it is that we're united with him and why we need to be united to him. So it's a change of understanding in all of these ways that then yes, will produce a change in behavior or a change of course of life. But we, we, we ought not collapse those things, which I think is where we're going to get in a minute. John, I want to kick it back over to you because yeah. I think you were headed somewhere and I sort of jumped in. Yeah, no, there's a there's definitely a collapsing of the two understandings of repentance. And what I mean by two understandings is that there are there's a call to the sinner who is not um, under the grace of God and who has right. not received regeneration. There's a call to repentance to that individual. And then there is a call to those who are under grace and who mm-hmm. are children of God. Yeah. And then there's another interesting whole dynamic of being the Old Testament prophets and their mm-hmm. preaching of repentance, mm-hmm. right? Because to a nation. Were, to a nation, right? Yeah. So you you have three different categories of repentance and often we collapse the three and many times we collapse the nation repentance mm-hmm. with the believer and confuse those two, or even the unbeliever and the nation, assuming that if one repents, then God will give them mercy. Like mercy only comes to the repentant. And mm-hmm. that is true to the nation. And you hear and even in Acts, when Peter is speaking about the prophets of old, he's rebuking them. We somehow use it as a as a means to um illustrate that we need to be preaching this type of repentance, but he was saying the prophets of old were telling you that Messiah was coming and and calling you to repent of your ways and obey the law, which will usher in the Messiah. And of course they missed it completely, Mm -hmm. uh, not according to God's sovereignty, but that's exactly how it unfolded, which we can get into a whole nother time. But then we see that we hear verses where it says, repent and your sins will be blotted out. And we assume that that is gospel, one, because often you will hear John the Baptist or even Jesus mention this type of phrases. And because yeah, it's yeah. in the gospels, I'm putting using air quotes for those of you that are watch, not watching this, we assume that that is tied to the gospel. And so, Justin, let's talk about this for a moment. Just because it's in the gospel and mm-hmm. John the Baptist or even Jesus who calls people to repentance, we have to be careful to, uh, to not assume that one cannot receive grace unless they've repented is what it makes it sound like. Because in the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel, they would receive forgiveness and they would receive mercy and grace if they repented. But is that true of the unbeliever now, Right, according to the Testament? The way I'm going to lead off my comments on this is with something that I think I've said before behind the mic here. We would all be helped if the titles of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not the gospel according to yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because in the original, it literally, the titles are just according to. According to John. Yeah. Right, is, is the title. And I think the insertion of the gospel according to makes us think that everything contained within them is part and parcel of the good news. When, as we have pointed out uh, over time, right, we've talked about this a lot, how much of what's contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is actually not gospel, it's law. Mm-hmm. And that those... Statements of law come from any number of people, including John the Baptist and Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. And so with respect to John the Baptist, I think we need to understand who he is. He is effectively the last of the old covenant prophets. 
And so he should be understood much more akin to pick your prophet, Isaiah, you know, Elijah, Jeremiah, et cetera, than he should be, you know, understood as a part of the, the gospel, like the coming of the Messiah itself, himself. John is the forerunner. He is a transitionary figure from the old covenant into the new, but ultimately the new covenant is ushered in by the Messiah himself. And we understand that even Jesus, as he is doing ministry on earth and as he is teaching, so often speaks words of law to people in order to unsettle them in their self-righteousness, to crush them with the law and to show them that what they desperately need is the Messiah who comes to fulfill the law for them and to atone for their sins and to Mm -hmm. reconcile them to God. And so many times when Jesus speaks, that's his objective. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be careful in how we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we also need to be careful in how we read the book of Acts, which again, I don't want to get us too far down the road here, Yeah. but the book of Acts contains a bunch of different kinds of things too. Now, Christ has already ascended and the preaching of the gospel is going, is happening and the gospel is going forth and all of those things. That's not debatable at all. But I think what we need to do is be responsible with how we even look at the apostles' language in the book of Acts and not be biblicists and how we read certain passages, right? Um, I don't know if you want to go ahead and go into Acts or if you want to make some other comments, man, about prophets and Jesus and John before we do. Mm -hmm. Because so, yeah, I guess my last thought, sorry, man, uh, last parting shot on this is when you hear language of repentance, even from John the Baptist, for example, yes, I know it's in John's gospel. I understand these things. But when he says he's preaching a baptism of repentance, we ought not understand that he is preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. He, He is preaching something else than the good news itself. That's right. Yeah, and to go back to a comment that might be new for a lot of people, when you said biblicism, this is a very important sure. uh, concept for you to understand as it relates to the confusion on repentance. I think a lot of people are confused on what is repentance because mm-hmm. they are biblicists, and it's not a good word; it's a bad word because what it means is you are not allowing the context of the verse to influence and not only the context of the verse, but the surrounding passages and the Bible at at large to influence what you are. So what biblicists will do is they will look at a verse or a couple of verses and say, well, this is exactly what it says. Uh, You know, Matthew 4, 17 for the time for, uh, sorry, for that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See Mm -hmm. right here. It, it says it in the text that this is, uh, this is what you should be redoing. And, but you're not looking at who Jesus is talking to, what is the immediate reason that Matthew wrote that, and at large, what does the entire Bible have to say about repentance and salvation? And is Jesus talking to unbelievers or believers? Like those are those are really important questions. So biblicism doesn't take into account all of Scripture and all of theology. And I would even say, often biblicism doesn't even allow you to systematize Scripture. You have to systematize Scripture. A good example of this is you will not be Trinitarian if you don't allow Scripture to be systematized, because that's how we come up with the understanding that a monotheistic God is. There's a, it's triune. Yeah. Really quick on biblicism, I think the real pitfalls of it and where it falls short is that it does not take into consideration the canonical context of Scripture. By that, I mean the whole canon, mm-hmm. all 66 books. You don't take the Bible as a whole, as, as a cohesive whole, and try to hold that together. 
appropriately yeah. if you're a biblicist. You tend to pit texts against each other as though they contradict themselves or like there's just some mystery here, you know, that you've introduced into the text that actually isn't there if you understand the scriptures with an appropriate framework, as you just said. And then, yeah, the second pitfall of biblicism is that it is inherently opposed to theological frameworks and theological systems that would even arise out of the text, That's right. like covenant theology or the distinction between the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so then what you end up doing is saying things that sound schizophrenic, because it's like, well, over here it says this, and over here it says this, and how we reconcile the two, we're not sure, but they're both kind of true. you know. And it, and it becomes very confusing for people. And right. what ends up happening, is whenever you collapse categories, clarity is lost, and the saints are harmed because peace and assurance before the Lord are taken away, mm-hmm. and the gospel becomes less clear. That's right. And none of that's ever good. No. So, and we all— yeah, we ahead. all have, um, and we all have pet, pa- well, not all of us, but then there, we, you know, you'll see pet passages that become the sure. ones that we run to. Uh, it's like when you first meet a Calvinist, you know, it's like all that they, all they can emphasize are the passages on sovereignty. Um, mm-hmm. But so let, let's, let's look at this. And, and, you know, I put a tweet out there recently that I was trying to help people understand that repentance is a fruit of regeneration. It's not the cause of regeneration. So regeneration is what? So regeneration, uh, a good example of this is uh, is Ephesians when it talks about he took us from death to life, right? Mm -hmm. It means to regenerate or bring back. It means to re- like to give really, life, to give life. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of saying that. So we believe that according to Ephesians, that we were dead in our trespasses and mm-hmm. sins, Christ made us alive. So he took us from death to life and that's what regeneration means. So yeah. to say that repentance is required of sinners in order to receive regeneration, or another way of saying this is you must first repent before you mm-hmm. can receive mercy for sins or before you can be brought into the family of God, you it, often you can hear this repent and believe, and you know as Peter says. Mm-hmm. But we have to be very careful that that we we understand in context. I agree, like just like when it says in John three sixteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever or, believes, yeah, whoever believes. Sorry, that's John ten. Um, but I, I believe that 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 for God so of the world that he gave his son. I believe all of that, but that's not disconnected from the fact that you are dead. You are in Adam because you are in Adam. You are born sinner. And so to think that one has the capacity to repent. So here's the problem, Justin. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Yeah. For a minute. So we're going to, we're talking about before one is alive in Christ. Okay. Yes. Before one is alive in Christ. I absolutely believe in the command that is given to us by Christ, that mm-hmm. one must repent. Sure. I believe that it's a legitimate command. Well, and um, even the and even the imperative to believe. That's right. Yep, it is an imperative to believe. You you have to believe in order to receive Christ. A dead person right. cannot, spiritually speaking, the, cannot repent. Not right. only that, let's let's say they can change their direction, like they were. Uh, trapped in sin, and now they're no longer trapped in sin. I don't believe Jesus means in general, and I don't believe God means in general. If you're going to turn away from your sin and receive forgiveness of sins, you have to be able to turn away from all of your sin. If this is what Mm -hmm. he's talking about, 
And I don't think it's possible to turn away from not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because I don't. we don't have the capacity to do that. that. That's the thing about this is that if you're saying one must repent in order to be saved, then no one will ever be saved. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org primer. Let me talk a little bit about the order of salvation as mm-hmm. it's been understood, or in theological vernacular, the order salutis. And all we mean here is trying to break apart how it is that someone comes to faith and is saved. And so we understand along with the Reformed through history that regeneration, God's sovereign work of giving life to a dead sinner, precedes faith and repentance, and that faith and repentance are both fruits of regeneration. And obviously our conversation today is about repentance. And so life must be given by God in order for a sinner to have this change of mind. It is granted by the Lord, and we are united to Christ by faith given to us by God. Our minds are quite literally changed by God as we hear the message of the law and the gospel, and thereby you know, we are, like as I've already said, united to Christ and are saved. And so we've got to get this really clear because if we do say what you just said, that you, you must repent first in order to receive grace, or you must repent first in order to receive mercy from God, then no one will ever receive mercy or grace. Mm-hmm. And you are making repentance the efficient cause of receiving grace, life, mercy, et cetera, from the Lord. That's right. And, and you really have turned it into a work. That, that a human being must do. And I would argue that you do the same thing with faith if you think in these terms. Mm-hmm. You're turning faith into something that the person must do that is then the efficient, the effective cause of salvation. Mm-hmm. Whereas we would understand Jesus is the one who saves and God in his sovereign grace and mercy gives life to dead sinners. That's right. And this is related to a number of things in my own mind, John. But I know we're going to get to the whole Christ later this summer, but just a brief little insertion here. What sparked the Marrow controversy in the Church of Scotland was a question, effectively this question, must a person forsake sin in order to come to Christ? Which is essentially what we're talking about today. What we're talking about right now. Must a person forsake sin and turn from sin in order to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question that, that split the Church of Scotland apart on the part of some brothers in Christ was no. Right. If we need to do anything in order to come to Christ, then no one will come to Christ. That's right. Because we can't. That's right. Because we believe in a very important doctrine that all in Adam died. Yes. That is very, like, forget Calvinism. It's like, oh, you're, you know, and I want to say true Calvinists cannot believe this. (laughs) If you're a Calvinist, you cannot believe you have the capacity to repent on your own without Christ or the Holy Spirit's power. You cannot do it because in Adam all died. That's right. So this is why we always would say repentance is a fruit of our salvation and faith and repentance happen simultaneously. Mm -hmm. 
They do. Now, now I, we're going to get into this in a moment. Like, what does repentance look like after salvation? We're going to talk sure. about that in a moment. But I, I, I want to belabor this point that if you go to someone and you require them to repent of sin in order to come to Christ— I'm sorry, but you are preaching to dead men's bones and telling dead men's bones to do things that cannot be done. And if you call yourself a Calvinist, you're confused because depravity demands us to preach the gospel and the gospel would lead one to faith and repentance. Amen. Really quickly, John, on this, I just want to jump in. Sorry, brother. Yeah. From the 1689 London Baptist Confession, this is chapter 14 on saving faith, but I think this needs to be stated because what Mm -hmm. you're saying right now is entirely right, that on the front end of this thing, when we're talking about somebody being converted and united to the Lord Jesus Christ initially, it really is not a wise thing in an ultimate sense to try to pull faith and repentance apart because it becomes very clear that they do go together in this regard. For example, chapter 14, paragraph 2, at the very end of it, of the 69 Confession, says this, The principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. I think when you state things that way, it's very clear that a person only does such a thing, like resting, receiving, trusting in, hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that individual has been given life from God and has also come to see that God is God, he is holy, and we are not. I'm undone, and I need a redeemer, Mm -hmm. and Christ is him, and I am casting myself completely upon Jesus and depending on him, not me, on him and nothing else. And that is evidence that this change of mind has been wrought in a person, and it's evidence that the Lord has given someone life that they would ever say, I need Christ and I'm trusting him. And so when we talk this way, I think it's helpful. One more comment, if I may, in mm-hmm. terms of how like a lot of times people say things about repentance and faith that are super confusing. They go to the book of Acts and they will cite Acts chapter two with Peter. What, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But then later, for example, in Acts chapter 13, Paul will say that, for example, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, this man being Jesus, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Or the Philippian jailer in chapter 16, when he's undone, people remember the story, how there are disciples of Christ in the jail, and then miraculously, you know, chains fall off and the gate swings open and the Philippian jailer is going to kill himself because he's going to be ruined because he's allowed all the prisoners to escape. And the disciples look at him and say, don't kill yourself. And, he's, they, and he basically ends up asking, what do, I need to be, what do I need to do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so I think what we need to see is that the presentation, even in the book of Acts, you see certain times repentance is stated. Other times, faith is stated, and instead of pitting those against each other and making it sound like schizophrenia, I think it's a better answer. What we're giving today is a better solution to say, yeah, that all of this is a fruit of regeneration of the new birth, and what's happening here is the change of mind is wrought, and a person believes in Christ, and this happens in our experience practically simultaneously. That's right. Right. On the front end. We're talking about the front end. That's right. So speaking of the front end, when you see Jesus using phrase like, 
I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come mm-hmm. to the sick, the blind, the needy. You are hearing Jesus say, he normally he says this to the Pharisees. He's saying this to the self-righteous because mm-hmm. they're standing before him and they don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe they need to trust in him and they can't see that they're sick. They can't see they're sinners. And so Jesus is saying, the the thing you need to repent of or the thing you need to see against the law is that you are sinful, you mm-hmm. are sick, you are depraved, and they can't do it. This is why even in John 6, 6, it says that the Father has to open their eyes in order for them to see it. And then he Amen. says things like, my sheep will hear my voice, and they yeah. will come unto me. They will know me. They will hear They will hear me. And so when when we when you hear Jesus speaking of repentance uh, before he goes to the cross, he's talking about the self-righteous. He even uses the sure. illustration of the two men in the temple, right? Totally. <laughs> Which one walked away justified? The one who 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 was who was beating his chest, right. who who was saying who understands he needs mercy. Be merciful to me. And then who, who's the self-righteous man? Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like this man. Mm-hmm. And Jesus gives the exact illustration of what these people need to repent of. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I, 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 my, I, my conviction is that Jesus came repeat, uh, preaching repentance of self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Like stop trying to save yourself by yourself. That's what he came preaching. And so I would say that um, when we're preaching repentance, we would do well to do the same to to tell people as you preach the God. So as you preach the law, the law crushes people. You have them look at the law and say, "See, you can't save yourself." So to repent of that and turn to Christ. And we but we know that if they do this, you can see them turn away from self salvation and they turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. Immediately, we can say. That is a fruit of the spirit. Enabled being to be able to do Amen. that, you have to have the spirit of regeneration in you. To turn from self-salvation to God's salvation is without doubt a, a change of mind that mm-hmm. is brought by the Holy Spirit. Epic, right. Yeah. And it's wrought of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read from the 1689 again briefly, just to keep mm-hmm. referring back to Reformed Confession. So mm-hmm. chapter 15. On repentance to life and salvation, paragraph one reads this way. Some of the elect are converted after their early years, having lived in the natural state, that is without the spirit, for a time, and served various evil desires and pleasures. Then this, God gives these repentance to life as part of their effectual calling. And so it's very clear that God is the one you know, Acts chapter 11 is like this. The words of Titus 3 are like this, that God grants repentance mm-hmm. to people as a part of his effectual calling on their lives, meaning God has said to a dead person, live. Mm-hmm. Like when Jesus says to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, the one who gave the command gives the life, you know, so that the command can be heeded. It's the same with us. God effectively looks at us and says, live. And what happens? It's like, again, simultaneously in our experiences, the law and the gospel is preached and Christ is heralded, right? Scales are knocked off our eyes and we immediately see that we are ruined before a holy God and that Christ is our savior. Mm -hmm. That he has atoned for my sin. He has accomplished my righteousness. He has secured my sanctification. He has secured my resurrection. I need him and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trusting him. That's right. 
And so this does not contradict passages like Acts 17.30 where he says, in, in the past God overlooked such ignorances, but now he commands mm-hmm. all people everywhere to repent. We would sure. say heartily, amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Repent unto Christ, right? Amen. Fall upon Christ. Amen yes. to that. So, yes. I, so Justin, for, a next, for just yeah. a couple of minutes here. Let's talk then, about in the Christian life. Yeah, and then we're going to have to really take this into the simple reformanda, but we'll just kind of tee it up here for a little bit. Often when people hear me say this, what they're saying then, John, is, John, if you preach that, then people will live however they want. No, look, you have to understand the difference between preaching the gospel to the unbeliever and preaching the gospel to the believer. It's the same gospel, mm-hmm. but the application does have its differences. You're calling someone unto faith, and then you're calling someone to live out their faith, as James says, right? Faith right. without works is a dead faith. Justin and I believe that. Amen. Repentance is a fruit. It's a real fruit, and it should be happening. And I think it is a wonderful fruit that God repents us. I mean, we often look at repentance as something that we can do on our own, and it's not. It's a spirit-wrought work. It's something that happens to us. We will repent. But I will tell you that there's nowhere in Scripture that indicates that you have the capacity to repent of all your sins all of the Mm -hmm. time. Uh, That's... That would mean you don't walk by faith, you walk by repentance. That doesn't make, that's not the command that we've been given. I just want to read you a couple of passages that I think are helpful. We need to be living in a life of repentance. What that means is we're constantly changing our mind from trusting in the lie of Satan to, uh, to believe in the sufficiency of something outside of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. All sin can be summarized basically of trusting in something else is more sufficient than Jesus. And then we end up fear, anxiety, lust, anger, all of that comes out of us. And where we must find our rest is we do not have the capacity to repent of all sin. We need to, we need to, Justin and I would both agree, we need to repent of known sin. And and, and, and if we're actively in a sin, we need to change our mind about that and walk away from it, Mm -hmm. right? Change the direction. But where we also rest is in the the reality of like for instance Hebrews 4:16 let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace why should we have confidence well the whole book of Christ is the whole book of Hebrews is about the sufficiency of mm-hmm. Jesus being our mediator and it says that we might receive mercy and find grace in a time of need when mm-hmm. do you need grace and mercy for sinners Justin when you're sinning word <laughs> Right. Well, a couple. What, I must continue here in Hebrews. It says in chapter ten. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. so we don't have confidence to walk into the presence of God because we've done righteous things. It's because mm-hmm. we don't do righteous things. It's the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the through the curtain mm-hmm. that is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest. Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, mm-hmm. with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without yep. wavering, for he who, who for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful, not us. So that's where our confidence lies. So yes, we repent, but Justin, you and I both know we don't feel that we are good with God because of our repentance. We feel we are good with God because of Christ's blood being sprinkled upon us and God is faithful. That's where we rest. No, amen. I mean, Hebrews 12, 24, you know, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, that word effectively is it is finished. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where our confidence is found. A- amen completely. And it, it's, there's so many other passages that are just kind of popcorning around in my brain right now that I think are helpful in this conversation. I mean, first John one, eight through like two, two is really mm-hmm. good because mm-hmm. there, you know, we're told that if we say that we have no sin, then we make God out to be a liar and the truth isn't in us. But what we're encouraged to do is to confess our sins because God is faithful and just in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John then says, I'm writing this little children. I'm writing this beloved. I'm writing this so that you might not sin. But if anybody does, Know that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation and the satisfaction for our sins. And so we're encouraged to confess sin and to acknowledge sin and to trust the Lord in Christ that we are absolved and that we're forgiven and that we're righteous. And so, yeah, we're not saved by our confession. We're not saved by our repentance, but God will continually grant these things to his saints And we live a life, as has been said so many times, of continual repentance because we understand that when it comes to us, we are always failing. And then we are casting ourselves anew upon the one who has paid for every failure, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, as I say things like this, John, I mean, I'm saying this to myself as much as I am to the listener because I need to be reminded of these things because I (laughs) tend to be very bothered and grieved by my sin. I'm not saying that that I'm grieved as much as I should be. Because that's a whole nother hyper introspective, you know, Pandora's right. box of things. But when we encounter sin in our lives, our tendency is to be bothered by that, to be concerned by it. We question whether we're legitimate. We doubt whether we're gods and all these things. And I think my word there is instead of having that mindset, we should be reminded that the fact that we're even grieved by our sin in the first place is evidence that we now belong to Christ. That's right. And what we are encouraged to do is to continue to take our sin to the Lord, to confess it to him, to confess it to our brothers and sisters, and then to be absolved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And there are various other texts in the scriptures for sure, where you see the apostles exhorting churches to repentance. Many times that's because they're turning to a different way of salvation. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Galatians, Galatians, right? I'm thinking of Hebrews, not neglecting such a great salvation means don't go back to the law. Mm -hmm. Right. Then you have you certainly passages like, you know, the, the letter to the Corinthians, where Paul will in various places do kind of a law gospel thing. And he's rebuking them for how they understand Christian freedom effectively. Like you think that sexual promiscuity and sexual like gross sexual immorality is an expression of Christian freedom. Don't you know that people who do these things won't inherit the kingdom of God? Like, why would you engage in things that the judgment of God is coming for? That's right. You know, but you you used to be this. You've been cleansed. Like, this isn't who you are now. So that's sort of the word of Paul in Ephesians. It's the word of Paul in Corinthians. Remember who you are. You're not, you're not this anymore. Well, that's 2 Peter and 1, right? Totally. 1, 9. 2 Peter 1, totally. I mean, so you're it's forgotten. a very consistent message, right? Don't, don't go toward another gospel. Don't revert back to self-salvation. Don't go back to the law. And then remember who you are now in the Lord Jesus Christ and live that way. And we always are having to be reminded of these things because we go astray. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Justin, in uh, for those of you that are new, we do a podcast, and I'll let Justin explain that. But we, I think in separate from Manda, what I would like to now take us into is the confusion that repentance is a fruit, but just like other fruits, like joy, meekness, patience, long-suffering, they aren't full and complete. Mm-hmm. And repentance isn't full and complete. In other words, I'll say this now and explain it later. 
just because you're now a believer doesn't mean all sin will always be repent of fully and completely forever. Otherwise, that means we could be perfect. I'll leave that here and we'll explain later. Oh, listener, <laughs> dear listener, notice what John Moffat just did, how he <laughs> set it up and man, he just took it right away, he kind of dangled it in front of you and he's like, oh, but not for now. We're going to talk about not it later. If now. you want to be a part of the conversation that we're going to have, that John has just teed up for us, we're going to have that in the other podcast that we offer weekly called Semper Reformanda. And that podcast is for people who have partnered with our ministry and have locked arms with us to see this message of the sufficiency of Christ and the rest that is ours in him spread as far and wide as possible. So if you want more information about Semper Reformanda, how you can become a part of this um, great thing that the Lord is doing and how you can get more involved with Theocast and meet other people that think like you and are wrestling through the same things you are, then go over to our website, theocast.org. You can learn everything about Semper Reformanda over there. So for many of you, we'll talk with you again next week on the regular edition of the podcast. And for others of you, we're going to talk with you in just a few minutes. I trust as you go over to your Semper Reformanda feed and listen in on the conversation there. Talk soon.